Holy God, we are gathered in this room as residents of the same nation, whether by birth or by choice. But more importantly, we are gathered in this room as fellow citizens of your kingdom, purely by you making us such. We have absolutely been adopted into a very good family. And we have been made to be people of peace and reconciliation and love because you are peace and you are reconciliation and you, O Lord, are love. And yet, we confess and we repent that there are times we have drawn the circle of that family much too small. And we have assumed or acted as if the whole of your kingdom could be comprised in one nation or one race or one language. And we ask you, Jesus, to free us from the thinking that your kingdom is so small. In just a few days, we will together celebrate with joy the birthday of our nation. And it's a place that we love. But we also confess it's a place that we mourn for the cruelty and division the dehumanizing language that is bantered around as regular talk, the way that people of power and privilege get more than people without. These are not things exclusive to our own nation. This is the way of humanity, but it is not the way of your kingdom. And so for this nation where we reside and the people of it which we love, we ask for your kingdom to come here and your will to be done here. Would you ignite, empower, and embolden your church? We who are kingdom people, would you enable us, holy God, to live holy lives so that we may participate in the transformation that all of us so desperately need. Would you allow us, would you empower us to be a part of making your kingdom come here? And Would it start within our own hearts and minds and with this own congregation? Would your kingdom come and your will be done in us? We pray now for our sister Gabby. We pray that you would empower her. She has heard clearly from you, and we ask that we would hear clearly the words that she has prepared and that your spirit wants to speak to us. We thank you for her life and for her ministry among us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we have the great privilege of hearing from one of uh, the best pastors that I know, Gabby Rodriguez. She serves at Trinity Church of the Nazarene, just a few miles south of us. She and her husband, Sergio, are both on staff there, and yet Gabby grew up 
just a few blocks away from here, literally, her uh, family has pastored the Segunda Iglesia Church of the Nazarene um, for 30 years. And so that is not far from here, right next to Eugene Fields Elementary School. And so in many ways, Gabby and her family um, both through their personal relationship with us and the ripple effects of their ministry have paved the way for our relationships and our ministry in the Midtown neighborhood. And so we are incredibly grateful for her. And uh, before she comes to share with us tonight, I want to invite you to listen in to the reading of scripture. Our ushers have Bibles. Uh, if you would like to grab one, we have them in English and in Spanish. And so you can read in your heart language or in the language you are practicing. Uh, And whether you read on a Bible or a a page Bible or a tablet Bible or look on the wall, I invite you to stand with us as we read from Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is a great privilege uh, and honor to be with you here today. Um, I'm going to read another passage of scripture as we get into our message today. It comes from Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 20. He, referring to Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So for this message, I'm going to invite you to use your imagination. So we're going to try to step into the world uh, that we find in Luke chapter 4. So... You're all wearing tunics, sandals, no iPads, no iPhones, uh, none of that, no, no Bible app on your phone, right? Um, we're, we're going to, to pretend like we're in that synagogue today 
where Jesus spoke um, and where this happened. So if we were sitting in that synagogue today, we were probably, we, we were uh, most likely faithful and devout Jews who followed the one true God, Yahweh. We also, as part of our religion, have many laws and many rules associated with what is right and what is wrong. Many. Like there was a proper way that you squeeze a lemon. There was a proper way that you wrote. There was a proper way that you erased what you wrote. There were proper cooking methods and and even a proper way of taking medicine. So you get the point. There were a lot of rules and, and a lot of laws associated with being a Jew. You honored the holy scriptures and Sabbath worship was very, very important to you and your family. So if you are a man sitting here today, pat yourself on the back because you were the favored gender in that time. You got the privilege of memorizing large, long portions of scripture. You had the opportunity to one day follow a rabbi and sit at his feet. And maybe perhaps one day you would have the great honor and privilege of reading scripture in your synagogue. And in our passage of scripture today, that is where we find Jesus. That is the setting. He is in most likely his synagogue, his hometown and the synagogue that saw him grow up. The one where Mary and Joseph most likely attended. The one that that was his home church. And he is saying these words that for us that know the the message of salvation and everything that Jesus was going to do, it, it, it gives us almost chills when we hear the son of God Our Messiah, our Savior, read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim to the captives forgiveness and to the blind sight, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We know what Jesus came to do and what he came to fulfill. But if we're sitting in the synagogue that day, we may be pretty divided at that point of what we thought about Jesus. We, some people uh, accepted him. Uh, everybody heard about him. His fame was growing. He had been going around teaching. He had been going around healing people. Uh, miraculous power was at work in him. People could not just dismiss it. It was obvious that he was somebody special. But for many people, they, they didn't know what to think. There were many assumptions that were made about Jesus. Uh, Verse 22 says that all spoke well of him up to this point. Up to this point in, in the passage, the atmosphere is good. It's positive. People are speaking well of him. They are amazed at the gracious words that are coming from his lips. People are saying, wow, he's done amazing things, but isn't he the son of Joseph? They would ask. People knew that, that he was something special. Maybe a prophet, maybe some thought that perhaps he could be the Messiah. But then again, they wondered, could anything good come from Nazareth? Well, it's almost as, as if Jesus could sense what was going on in the minds of, of people in our minds sitting in the synagogue that day. The struggle was real. And Jesus begins to speak to it. He says in verse 23, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician Heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard 
that you did in Capernaum. And as we hear that, we begin to think, is he about to do something here in the synagogue? We've seen that he's done it in other synagogues before. And maybe the excitement starts to grow that maybe we haven't seen him. Maybe we haven't been present when he's actually performed a miracle. And there begins to be this excitement like, I'm going to have something to share tomorrow at work that I saw, you know, like I was front row seat to the best magic show at the synagogue, perhaps is what we're thinking. But, but then this atmosphere that seems positive and, and exciting seems to change because Jesus begins to talk in a different way. He says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three years and a half and there was a famine, a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was, was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarepta in the region of Sidon. So by reading that, you wonder, why is everybody getting so angry? What, 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 what's wrong with that? But as we look into the story, I'll, I'll tell you very briefly. So King Ahab uh, was, was the king at, at that time, and he was chasing Elijah because Elijah was preaching that King Ahab was doing the wrong thing. He was leading the people to worship false gods because of his wife. And so, um, and so it was not raining, and if it was not raining, then the crops were not growing, and if the crops were not growing, then people were hungry, animals were dying, People were starving. And it, it's this setting that Jesus is making reference to. And so Jesus brings up this poor widow. Of all of the things that Jesus could talk about in the synagogue that day, to try to maybe get followers, uh, get some, you know, more followers on his Instagram, you know, like he could have done so many things, but he brings this story. He begins to talk about this poor widow who helped the prophet when he was being chased by King Ahab. And he just basically says very briefly that when she helped, when she obeyed, that God miraculously blesses her. And even as we read further in that passage back in the Old Testament, he even resurrects her son. And for you and me to hear a story like that of the power of God, it's exciting here in, two, in 2019, right? Like it's exciting to hear that God would do something like that. But when we look back at the people sitting in the synagogue that day, they were furious. And so we have to ask, why? Why were they furious? Why were they so upset? And so we think, oh, it's because she wasn't the favored gender, right? Because she was a woman, Maybe because she was a widow. Not only those two things, but she was from Sarepta and Sidon. She was not even a part of the people of God. She was an outsider. She did not deserve to be, to be in, in, an insider. She, she did not deserve to be the hero in the story that Jesus was saying. She was not even a part of the people of God. So the, 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 uh, the anger in the synagogue that day is rising. Jesus continues as if he cannot see that they are angry. He continues. And then there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. So Jesus begins to talk about leprosy. 
which if we're good Jews, we, we begin to kind of start itching and scratching like when somebody sends a note home saying that there was a head, uh, somebody in your child's class had head lice, right? You just automatically, and I'm going to see a few of you go like that in just a minute, right? Whenever they heard the word leprosy, it was so disturbing, so disgusting. These were people that were holy and righteous, and, and, they, and they could not stand the sight of lepers. Lepers were cast out. They were, they were, they were sent to, to, to a homeless field away from their family, even the Jewish ones. Somehow they had, they had the, they had, they did not have the favor or the blessing of God and they had done something wrong that God had sent them leprosy. That was the thought in that day. But Jesus is referring to Old, uh, Old Testament times. He's, he's talking about Naaman, a man that was an enemy of the people of God. He was a general of the army that were the enemies of the people of God. And not only that, but he was a kidnapper. He kidnapped teenagers and made them serve in his house. At least one that we know of. And the people are upset. They are upset that Jesus is bringing this up. That he is talking about leprosy in the synagogue. They are upset that he is talking again as he just did about the widow who is an outsider about Naaman. Why is he bringing him up and acting as if he, as if he deserves any type of grace or mercy? Why is he doing that? The people were furious. And scripture tells us that this group of religious people that followed the law and the rules, even to the point of squeezing a lemon correctly, were so infuriated by what Jesus was saying that that outsiders can also be insiders. They were so furious that they stood up together like in a mob and they pressed Jesus all the way to the outskirts of town with the intention in their heart to throw him over the bank and murder him. These people who had, as part of the Ten Commandments, do not murder, that were willing to check off all of these rules and regulations, were so infuriated by by what Jesus was saying. That is one of the most bizarre stories that I find in the life of Jesus. Does it have anything to do with us today? With us Christians who live post-Pentecost in this time of the full dispensation of the Spirit. Well, we know that uh, Jesus did eventually die. Not that day, not not that day that they were furious and wanted to kill him, but he he did die. Um, And we we know that uh, he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended into heaven, as you can imagine, his disciples were very heartbroken uh, whenever Jesus was um, taken from the garden. And as they watched from a distance their, their friend uh, be crucified, they, they, um, they were heartbroken. And Friday came and it was the saddest day that the disciples had ever known. And then Saturday was a day of great silence. 
where all was lost apparently and where Satan himself rejoiced because he thought that he had won. He thought that the savior of the world and the plan of salvation was a fell. And on the third day, there was movement in the grave. There was movement in the grave. And so he, he is alive and the disciples are trying to cling to him. They're trying to say, never leave us again. We never want to experience a minute, a second without you. And here Jesus is doing all these kinds of things that we don't have time for today, but entering through walls and disappear. He's acting, he's acting different than how he had been those three years that he had walked with them. And in that process, he's saying things that he had said before, but now they're listening. He's saying, I must leave. And it is better that I go. Because if I go, I will send you a comforter, a counselor, a helper that will be with you always. In the flesh, Jesus could not be with them 24-7. And if he was with a couple of people, then he couldn't be with other people. In the flesh. But Jesus was saying, it is better that I go. And there he is about to ascend and, and he gives them, um, he, he tells them to, to, to do these certain things. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Go and wait in Jerusalem. There is a promise that is going to be fulfilled. And then he's gone. And there they are. There they are. They had more questions. That, they had more questions than answers. They were confused. The pain of being without Jesus again had to be so strong in their heart. And yet they trusted in his voice, in his word, in what he had said in his command. And so they go to this place and they wait. And days pass by the longest prayer service in history. I mean, days and days and days. I, I've heard that some people describe that, that the, that the uh, disciples and those 120 people that were waiting were, were they, they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what they were praying for. It's almost like they were saying, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty. And in comes the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he wrecked them in the best way. The, the, the Holy Spirit marked the early church so profoundly that they are no longer this little group of frightened individuals that are hiding behind closed doors, just, just protecting themselves. They break out of the walls of, of buildings and they, and they hit the streets. They're no longer this little group of religious, legalistic people. They become mighty in power and in deed. The Holy Spirit pushes them outside of their comfort zone and empowers them beyond anything that they could do themselves. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit so transformed the church. It so transformed the church. We find a very, very, very different attitude in the passage that Pastor Mikkel, uh read earlier in Acts chapter 15. God has been doing crazy things. I mean, he's inviting people to be insiders that were never supposed to be insiders. He's inviting Gentiles. By the way, we're not in the synagogue anymore. 
we're the Gentiles. He's inviting Gentiles to be a part of the kingdom of God. And these disciples that follow Jesus, they don't know what to do. Peter is saying, how can I touch what is unclean? And yet the Holy Spirit of God is guiding and empowering. And in Acts chapter 15, we see a very, very different picture of the church. This is the picture that we're called to look like. Not the Luke 4 picture, but the Acts 15 picture. There are times that it feels confusing. There are times that, that, we, don't, that we don't really know what is right and, and what is wrong when it comes to people sometimes. We don't, we don't understand. We, we don't know. And yet the Acts 15 church comes together and they talk. And, and the sentence that ca- caused my attention the most out of this passage is found in, in verse 12. They've talked, they've shared their different um, opinions, thinking. What does it mean? Who is allowed into the kingdom? What do they have to do in order to be a part of the kingdom? In In verse 12, it's this beautiful picture. It says that the whole assembly became silent and they listened. What a posture. What a posture to be quiet and to listen. To listen to another person's story. To stop doing all the talking and acting like we have all the answers and just to hear somebody else's journey. So much so that we can extend grace and love. It takes a certain level of humility to be able to do that. When my husband and I were in Kansas City for seminary, uh, we were a part of a church. Um, we grew up in a church that is uh, pretty much predominantly uh, made up of Mexican people. When we went to our church in Kansas City that, that we were ministering at, it, it was a Spanish-speaking church, but it had a lot of different cultures there. And um, they had some people from Guatemala there at the church. And when we first arrived, there was, uh, there was a, a brother uh, there that at first wasn't very open to, to us. And we, you know, didn't really know him or his story. Um, and we just continued to, to, to try to be friendly and kind. And um, one day... Finally, we had invited some people over to our house, and he came to our house. And he said uh, to, to me and my husband, he said, you know, it's a miracle that I, I am standing in the house of, of Mexican people. And that's kind of offensive. <laughs> and, you know, I've never heard that before. Uh, and w- what do you mean? He said, um, as I was making my journey to the United States, he said, um, we had to cross the Mexican border. And um, you Mexicans treated us so poorly, so poorly, worse than any United States immigration officer could have ever treated us. 
The, the immigration officers of Mexico were the cruelest people that we have ever encountered. And in that moment, I vowed in my heart that I would never love a Mexican person. And here you show up. And you invite us to your house. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be friends. That is the kind of work that the Holy Spirit can do. I don't know if you believe in original sin or not, but if you don't, you should be in the same space as a two-year-old. You will change your mind quickly. When um, our daughter, Abigail, that is now 14, was two, um, we, we had a son as well, and he, he was one. I know. We had one in 2005 and one in 2006. Uh, and so they were, they were little. And as any young mother knows, um, and if you're expecting like your first child, I'm sorry that this about what I'm going to tell you, but you will never have privacy until they're teenagers. And then they won't ever want to be around you. Uh, but, but at that time, you know, I would go into the restroom to hide out just for five minutes, you know, just for five minutes, just, just for five minutes. I just need to use the restroom and be alone for five minutes. And um, of course, every time I did that, it was, you know, like, I don't know, like it was abandonment issues. I don't know, you know, and so just, you know, knocking on the door and Abigail was the leader, of course. And so she's just knocking and, ah, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Like she just needs my attention in that moment. So, uh, so I, I finished, you know, washing my hands and I, I opened the door just slightly and I'll never forget this. She pushed open as quickly as possible and then she turns her little butt and closes the door with her behind. And so then it's me and her inside the restroom. And Esteban is still outside. And of course, he's crying and screaming for me. And I'll never forget Abigail. She, she puts her little mouth to the little crack of the door that is closed. And she says, Esteban, mommy needs her privacy. That's, that's funny. That's funny. But that's the attitude, I think, that, that sometimes without the empowerment of the Spirit, we can tend to have. I'm safe. I'm in. I'm with mommy. We don't have space for you. We, we don't have space for you. You know, um, Jesus is, is so amazing. All of our life, he, he waits patiently. He speaks kindly. He is ever-present. He's calling out to us. And um, at whatever point in our life that we are able to hear his voice, he, he invites us on this journey. And, and it's a beautiful journey. But when we first enter into relationship with Christ, we sometimes don't understand what we're getting into. 
like when my husband asked me on a date for the first time, right? Like you're just like, oh, this, this would be great. This, this, this is nice. He's a handsome man and he's funny. And I, I, I think I like, you know, we're compatible. I, I think I'd enjoy his friendship. But then as, as we continue walking in life together, then it, it you know, hey, well, do you want to be my girlfriend? Oh, my goodness. You're, you need so much of me. And then, you know, would you like to marry me? Marry you? Like, marry you? Like, every decision in life that is important, I'm going to have to, like, pass through you. You're going to have to, like, know where I am at all times. Like, you're going to have title to my cars and, and access to my checking accounts. And Of course I'll marry you. Of course I'll marry you, right? But we don't know exactly what we're getting into when we say yes the first time. We don't know that it's going to lead us into this life that, that we wouldn't change for anything, but it requires a lot. That is kind of the way that it is with Jesus, right? He invites us into this relationship and, and, he, and he is patient and he's a gentleman. He doesn't barge in uninvited. But so often when we invite Jesus, we, we want to keep him in the common areas, right? The ones that are pretty and the ones that, the ones that are ready for visitors. We want to keep him there in, the, in those spaces, the kitchen and the guest restroom and in and, and the, and the, and the bedroom that we've assigned to him. And would, would you know that Jesus is always about calling us deeper? Jesus is all about always saying, well, let's get, let's, let's get engaged, Let's, let's, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper because there are places that we say, Jesus, I don't want you to be a part of. There are closets in, in our homes that we say, yep, those are not, those are not okay for you to open. There are bedrooms and things hidden under the beds that, that we would be embarrassed, appalled for anyone to see. And Jesus in his great love and in his great mercy, he says, but, but let's, let's go deeper. Would you allow me space in those places where prejudice exists? Would you allow me the privilege of being in those spaces where you are unfree to love? Would you allow me to be in those places where, where, where resentment grows and where you're bitter? Would you allow me to inform the experiences that have shaped you and that, and that make you react and act in the ways that you do? And brothers and sisters, let me say this, that I know about my loving Savior, that Jesus does not want to enter those places to condemn us. He wants to enter those places to free us, to free us for freedom, for transformation, to infill us with all that he is. And what a gift that relationship is. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the church is able to fulfill the words that Jesus expressed from the prophet Isaiah. Our mission is to go and to proclaim the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach freedom to the captive, and to give sight to the blind. You see, our role as a church is not to build barriers. Through the power of the Spirit, it's to tear them down and to build bridges so that people can connect to the Almighty God that loves them. It is only through His Spirit and through His power that we are free to love Him 
and to love others and invite them into this life of freedom and truth. Because of Pentecost, we are all equal at the table of the Lord. What a gift that is. Let us pray. Almighty God, oh, how we thank you. How we thank you for that voice and that presence that has been available to us all of the days of our life. That presence and that voice that has drawn us, that has called us, that has beckoned us to come. We are so grateful, God, for your grace that was extended and is extended to us all the time. And yet we realize, Lord, that it is only through this deeper walk with you. It is only through the infillment of your spirit. It is only through the surrender to your spirit, God, that we can truly be the people that you have called us to be. So today, oh God, I pray that, that you would have a greater freedom among us. God, in my own life, I, I give you, Lord, just I know that you are the almighty God, but you wait on my invitation. I invite you, God, to move into those rooms in my own life and in my own heart where I want to keep others out, where I'm free and safe and where I am unconcerned about those that are not. God, there are places in my own heart that I want to build walls and barriers. God, but today I pray that through your spirit's work in us, God, that we would say, God, break those down. So often, God, we act out of fear. But it is your perfect love that casts out all fear. Help us be the Acts 15 church, God. A church that is making it easy for people to walk in. A church that is making it easy for others to encounter the love of Christ. The Acts 15 church they had the very same experiences as the Luke 4 church. They were the same culture. The same experiences had formed them. Maybe some of their relatives had been sitting in that synagogue that day. But what a different picture. That is what your Holy Spirit does. It allows us to be in a posture of silence and listening. God, so allow us to do that with you today. We I admit, Lord, I talk a lot. Help me to be quiet. Help me, God, to listen to what it is that you want to say. We want to be free. Free to love you and free to love others, God. Thank you for the table that you have prepared for us. Even as we partake today, God, would you bring someone to mind? that is not yet at the table? And would you allow us to open the bathroom door and let them be with mommy too? We love you and we praise you.